Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery and General Podcast. And not too long ago, we talked about Final Fantasy Record Keeper, and we're going to continue talking about that uh, game again, because one of the things that made me think about this topic, and actually I've thought about this for a while, uh, during the last major update, they introduced a new mode similar to the story mode where this one it plays a little bit more like a traditional final fantasy game where you have a map you get to explore though again it's still very rudimentary but during one of the cutscenes there again where uh, tyro and alara are exploring these paintings dr mog warns that they might be messing with history so i thought it might be fun to speculate what if all the final fantasy games the main ones were intended to take place on the same planet in the same continuity. What would the most logical chronological order be? Now, obviously, Square didn't intend for the games to have any direct relationships with each other, with the exception of their spin-offs or sequels like, you know, Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy IV The After Years and of course, there's a gazillion games or spinoffs based off of 7, and then 10 and 13 have their sequels as well, and Tactics does too, and I think 12 also had a spinoff. So this is just a theory. Now, to help me discuss this topic, I've got my son with me, Alan. How you doing today, Alan? Good. And, you know, we're actually recording this on September uh, 3rd, Labor, Labor Day. Day. Yep. So this is your last day of summer vacation. Yeah. That make you sad you got to go back to school tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, and you're going to be, uh, starting tomorrow, you're going to be a middle schooler going into seventh grade. Uh-huh. Welcome to Bone Thrower's Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns. We've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. Now, between the two of us, we've only played some of the games, so a lot of the knowledge comes from uh, Record Keeper, as well as reading various plot synopsises on various wiki sites or watching the occasional YouTube video. Now, first, let's talk about the games we've actually played quite a bit into. Um, for me, I've played one, two, four, four of the after years, six, uh, the first of the 13 games, 15, Type Zero, and Mystic Quest. I personally hope that they do introduce Mystic Quest later on in Record Keeper, um, but I am going to include it because I do have an idea on how it could be worked into the timeline. So what are some of the games that you've played in the series? I've, I am, so the games I've played is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 15. 
Yep. So again, not all of these games we've necessarily played through to completion. I'm still working on Type Zero. I haven't, uh, and I'm still working on like three and seven. I'm trying just to enjoy the games as much as I can. Unlike Dad's playthrough of fifteen, where he sort of just rushed through the game. Hey, I by the time I beat that game for the first time, I had like eighty some, eighty eight or eighty nine hours in there, so I didn't rush through it. Uh, it's it's a big game, you know. I know. I like I like to explore a game and really, uh, yeah. you know, get as much out of it as I can. I mean. You know, especially when you get a game and you've just paid like 60, 70 bucks for it. Yeah, you want to get as much out of it as you can. Yeah. So one of the first problems we run into when we try to discuss how all these games would fit into the same timeline on the same planet is how the world maps change. And honestly, I don't think this is really too much of an issue. So I'm going to put my son here on the spot. Uh, So far in school, have you learned much about plate tectonics? Um, at least somewhat. So, what do you remember? Let's see how well you paid attention in school. What are plate tectonics? I believe they are the, like, the, those are the, like, the land masses of land masses that control the Earth's shape. Well, the the Earth, we know, is divided into several plates. And because of geologic activity, you know, they've, they've shifted around over the course of, uh, you know, billions of years. And you look at a world map, for example, you can see that it looks like, you know, obviously Africa and South America look like they fit together rather nicely. And, you know, there's a few other parts where you can kind of see how things could fit together as a nice little jigsaw puzzle. And so, again, we know that the plates have moved over the course of uh, the planet's history. So that could also explain why. You know, some of these civilizations may have had no knowledge of each other. They could have been so isolated. Uh, For example, the Romans, they knew of the Greeks and the Egyptians and a few other civilizations, but they would have had no way to know of the civilizations that sprung on North and South America. Also, another interesting theory is that each world map in a Final Fantasy game could actually be just in a, a single part of the entire world. Now, what got me to think about that was a video I watched that showed how Spira from Final Fantasy X could could fit in as a portion of the world map of Final Fantasy VII. And we're going to be talking about the connections between VII and X later on. We also know that Final Fa- from Final Fantasy VI that there are there is magic that is capable of reshaping a planet. Plus, it's a fantasy game. Mm-hmm. It says so right there in the title. Yep. Suspend your disbelief, people. <laughs> so another possible issue is different names and terms, but we could just explain that as different, uh, you know, the same concepts being described in different languages. So when we were talking about how these games could all fit together, we thought a lot about some of the common elements that we see in the Final Fantasy series. So before we begin, one last thing. Spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't played some of these games, there will be some spoilers in there. So now one of the things that actually made it a lot easier to think about this topic is you had mentioned that they, we could divide it into two different periods. Yep. So what are those two periods? The crystal area era and the post-crystal era. 
And what got you thinking about this idea? Because when we were talking, I actually thought it sounded like a really good idea. Like the crystal era is that some games don't really focus on the crystals while other they're a major plot point. Yep, because crystals or crystal-like objects are a common reoccurring device in, you know, almost all of the Final Fantasy games. But in some of the earlier ones, there's this, you know, they are more central to the plot. And usually they represent different elements. So I thought that was actually a really good amount of thinking at your part. Mm -hmm. But let's go back to the beginning. So what game do you think would probably be chronologically the first of the series? Final Fantasy 1. Okay. And why do you think that? I think the reason why 1 would be first is that the game, it's quite primitive and this is when the four crystals were introduced. Also, another thing is that currently the world is in chaos because of chaos. Because the world is stuck in a time loop. So, four warriors of light that they don't have exact names, so we're just going to call them warriors of light, go on their quest to defeat Garland and the chaos. See, and I'm going to disagree with you, because I was actually looking, when I was doing research on one of the games, Final Fantasy XI, which, again, is one of the games neither one of us have played, so again, we wouldn't really have had any way to know about this. I think that actually would be the best most logical first game in the series and let me tell you why so in Final Fantasy XI's mythology there is mention of a sentient crystal that created everything so this is where some of these crystal legends could have started and it also early in this world's history there was a technologically advanced prosperous utopian society now During this time, the people started a war with the spirits, which included Bahamut, a character that we see in most of the Final Fantasy games in one way or another. And during this time, the people, this ancient advanced civilization, and I apologize, I forgot the the name, they created a weapon that almost destroyed the world. So do you remember the Lufenian society, uh, you know, Lufenia that's mentioned in Final Fantasy I? Not that much. Yeah, because it takes place later in the game. Because remember, they the Warriors of Light, they go to that ancient... Uh, they go to that isolated society where no one speaks the language. You know, they only speak their own language, rather. So remember, they have to find the tablet mm-hmm. so they can... Uh, you know, they can communicate with these people. So I think that the reason I would put Eleven first is because this technologically advanced society could be the forerunner for the society that we see in Final Fantasy 1. Also, Bahamut, after the events of that game, could have decided that it was necessary to make sure that heroes would always be able to rise to fight against evil. So that why that could be why he set up that, you know, test of courage that would let you do the class change. Mm-hmm. So in Final Fantasy 1, Uh, which, again, both of us agree would fit in early on in the game. So Chocobos and and Moogles don't appear in this one, so we were thinking that maybe they were extinct by this time. Uh, Possibly Garland or the Fiends could have tried to wipe them out. As they do often help the heroes. Yes, and plus Chocobos are cute. And Moogles. Yes, and just remember the words of Prompto from Final Fantasy XV, There is no wrong way to love a Chocobo. Mm -hmm. Don't take that out of context. But anyways, so 
we know one of the key elements in this game is that the Warriors of Light defeat Chaos and they break this time loop, which is something that we actually will see in a couple of the other games that make it, you know, actually kind of logical. And when they did the, broke this time loop, that could have erased the event that caused them to go extinct. Though, we were also discussing that it's possible maybe Chuckabos and Woogles weren't exactly extinct, but they were just very rare. Mm-hmm. So, after that, I think the next game that would be logical would be Mystic Quest, which I believe you haven't played it yet. I, I have seen it. Yeah, you've seen me play it, and I know it hasn't been touched on in Record Keeper. Square, Dina, if you're listening... Please introduce a realm for Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. It could be put in Beyond. Yeah, because I know they introduced that Beyond section, which is the stuff that doesn't fit into the main ones. Um, oh, yes, and also I know there's a lot of games that we're going to be leaving out in this discussion, like the Final Fantasy Dimension series, and then there were some of the Legend and series that were made for the Game Boy Advance and the Game... Well, not Game Boy Advance, for the Game Boy. And uh, then... I mean, of course, there's a, you know, we also might think, well, where would, what about other games? Like, for example, Final Fantasy characters appear in Kingdom Hearts. So there's, okay, how would Kingdom Hearts fit into all this? Well, that depends. Like, what Final Fantasy characters do appear in Kingdom Hearts? I know that Cloud and Riku uh, both appear in Kingdom Hearts, and I think there's others as well. I remember Sid and Yuffie. Okay, I didn't know that they appeared in Kingdom Hearts. I haven't played any of the Kingdom Hearts games, so... I mean, I just know that some of the games have crossed... Some of those characters have crossed over into Kingdom Hearts. But, like I said, we're not really going to be discussing those games. We're just discussing the main ones. Now, one of the reasons I think we could work Mystic Quest in there... Is because Mystic Quest could take place after Final Fantasy 1. Because both of them... Share a similar characteristic. You've got something in the middle of the world... And in the first Final Fantasy game... That was the Shrine of Chaos. Correct, the Shrine of Chaos. And later in the game, uh, when you're in the Tiamat dungeon, which in the original version is a satellite, and in the uh, later versions they just have it like a castle in the sky. But there's a part, a portal you can look through, and it, you, it notices that you see all the energy from the four elements flowing into the this you know the shrine at the center of the world now in mystic quest there is the focus tower at the center of the world and i think that in a in a theory the maybe after the warriors of light destroyed the you know the chaos and you know the shrine of chaos uh, collapsed that maybe someone could have built the focus tower on because as i recall in that story's in the instruction manual for uh, Mystic Quest, they do mention that there was once a time where there was prosperity and communication between the different nations. And again, we do see the different elements, each being uh, drained, or the crystals rather, being drained of their power by uh, some powerful monster. So after one, we actually thought the next one that would be make chronological sense would be three. 
And you actually had this idea. So why do you think Final Fantasy III would be the next logical step in this progression? Well, another thing you need to know about III is the characters, as they're way different. In the original NES version, you play as all Onion Knights, so you're basically just more generic Warriors of Light. But in the 3D versions, you play as Lunath and Friends. Okay, so... Do you, you think that you are saying that you think the version with Lunath and Friends, when the Warriors of Light were given distinct names and personalities, that's the one that we should consider canon? E well, yeah, as the reason why is it's just, as overall, it feels like it just feels more natural. And another thing is that, another thing that I also think really like the games are connected is that the crystals speak of the past Warriors of Light. And also another reason is that, the Wind Crystal grants all the six jobs that the Warriors of Light started off with. Right, and I think you were mentioning that in the original version, you didn't get Thief right away. Yeah, which, I don't, like, this, I believe the crystal that you save first is the Wind Crystal, which was the last crystal you saved in the Game Boy Advance version. So, it, after this, I feel like that why wouldn't the crystals entrust Thief onto them, um, right away, considering that if you're, if there was a thief in the original Final Fantasy, it, it, it did serve them well, so why wouldn't they give them thief right away? Yeah, and I thought that was a good idea, because, you know, the, you mentioned the other jobs, you know, warrior, uh, black belt, or monk, white mage, black mage, red mage, uh, you know, and thief, they're all, you know, the, the original ones from Final Fantasy 1 were all available really early on in Final Fantasy 3. Yeah, but if you were playing the NES version, you would only be able to get these jobs until, like, the second crystal, where you actually get Thief. And yeah. also, hashtag Thief's mustache. Yes, I know Pro Jared had a video where he was talking about how the Thief, you know, had the uh, mustache of a science teacher, or a math teacher, or something like that. But, next, five. You actually came up with another idea as why you thought it would be better to go after three, go to five, and then four. So why don't you explain what you told me about why you think five would be the next logical step? So in five, if they, once again, they speak of the legends of the past warriors. It seems like during the time in between in three and five, there was a big battle against X-Death and they used the crystal of the seal. But, another thing is that there's a Dark Realm in 5 that could also possibly be based off of the Dark Realm um, Cloud of Darkness was in. Another thing is that they, as again, the Crystals do them give all the jobs, though oddly, Warrior is taken up by Knight, which, to be honest, Warrior was just better as a Knight to begin with. And then there was... And, but instead of Red Mage, there was Blue Mage. But you get Red Mage still fairly early on. Okay. And I thought that was a good, uh, like I said, I, thought, I think you had a good idea there. I've played a very, very, very little bit of 5. I think I played to, like, shortly after you encounter... Well, I think I got to the part where you started to... Where you first met up with Ferris and the Pirates. Actually, I was continuing that file. Okay, so you started my file and you just kept going on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hey, yeah, whatever works, so... And I'm already at the part where I'm supposed to be going after the Fire Crystal, but I'm actually somewhat just setting the grind. Okay. So, next four. And one of the reasons I think four would come next is because we do see some of the previous jobs appear. The Dark Knight, the Paladin, Dragoon, um, Ninja, Bard, Monk, Summoner... 
uh, white mage, black mage, and sage, these all appeared in the previous games. So I think by this time in the world's history, the knowledge of how to take on these jobs could have been commonplace enough that people no longer needed crystals to give them this knowledge. And also I think that when from 4 on, it would make sense that technology would start to advance because we have to look to the ending of Final Fantasy IV, The After Years. In that game, at the end, because I think you've seen me beat that game, right? I think I have. Because you fight, you fight a, uh, an entity at the end of that game called the Creator. And he mentions that his civilization uh, became really advanced, and they weren't, but they eventually stagnated, and the civilization was destroyed, and he was the, the survivor. So he felt that the universe shouldn't be allowed to be overrun with inferior beings. So what he did is he created these crystals, and he seeded planets with them, and these crystals would act as uh, depositories of knowledge. Now, at the end of the game, the heroes dis- defeat the the creator, who was going to destroy the, the world that Final Fantasy IV takes place on, which they always call just the Blue Planet. And so this allows the heroes to, or this allows the world to continue when a civilization can continue to advance. And I think it's also possible that since these crystals were intended to record the progress of a civilization, it's possible that these crystals that the heroes have access to now may still have that information from these previous civilizations. Yeah, so that's why I think is like the, that all those efforts from the first Warrior Lights, the second coming, and the third coming, all of them gave all the, couldn't help the crystals advance. Yeah, and from this point on, we really don't hear much about the term Warriors of Light being advanced or being used. And also, if we look at the chronological order of the games as they were released, after 5, crystals start to play a significantly less role in the game. So that's um, so it was a little tricky thinking about what would come next. And honestly, I thought 9 would be the most logical progression. Because uh, I think as far as like the technology level, it's pretty similar to what it would have been near the end of Final Fantasy IV. But the reason I think 9 should come next is because two of the characters in there, Garnet and Eco. Now, do you remember one of the major plot points in Final Fantasy IV? I do. It, that is, Rydia's one of the last summoners. Right, because the the Kingdom of Baron wanted to destroy the, the village of Mist where the summoners lived. But as we know, uh, eventually the you know the village did rebuild, and it is still available as a location in Final Fantasy IV: The After Years. But we find out in Final Fantasy IX that Garnet and Eco are the last of the summoners, and they came from a village of summoners that was destroyed. So I think it's possible that Ridia did manage to reestablish the village of Mist. It did start to prosper again until another power arose that was afraid of the the powers of the summoners, so they were wiped out again. Now, as far as how crystals appear in Final Fantasy IX, for the most part, they reside at the center of the world, and they're the source of all the souls in the world. So that's where all souls come from and where all souls go back to. The life stream? 
Well, we're not quite to the part of the life stream yet. Um, the concept of the life stream as we see in 7 is, at least the way I understand it, it's different than how these crystals appear in 9. I haven't played 9, so as I said, most of my knowledge of that game comes from either Record Keeper or just reading various wiki articles on it. So I thought the next game would be Final Fantasy XIV. Originally, I was thinking, okay, this would probably be a little better suited towards the post-crystal era. But the reason I think that it would probably be better here is because in that game's mythology, there is the talk of something called the Mother Crystal. And that could be referring back to the same crystal from Final Fantasy XI. And the whole Realm Reborn concept, that I think could work quite well into something that we see happen in what I think is the next step, Type 0. Because in Type 0, and again, I haven't played too far into that game, so I had to spoil the ending of the game for myself, but in the game's introductory cutscene, you learn that there's four crystals in here. But instead of being symbolic of the elements like they were in a lot of the previous games, instead, they're symbols of knowledge, where... The first is the Vermilion Bird Crystal, that is the symbolizes the power of magic. The White Crystal, I'm sorry, the White Tiger Crystal, that represents the power of weapons. The Azure Dragon Crystal represents the power of the dragon, which I understand is communication. And then finally, the Black Tortoise Crystal represents the power of the shield. Now, at the end of this game the crystals are destroyed. But I think there's one that could have survived. And before we go into Final Fantasy XV, this is why I think that it makes sense to put this in the, right after fourteen, Because at the end of Type Zero, you learn about how the world has gone through different reboots, or these different cycles, where the world just gets wiped out and, you know, starts over again. So I think the events that go from Final Fantasy XIV to Final Fantasy XIV or Realm Reborn, we could maybe interpret that as just another one of these reboots. Maybe just happening in a different part of the planet. Yeah. So this brings us to Final Fantasy XV, a game that both of us have played and enjoyed a lot of. So in this game, there's only one crystal, and I think that since there's just a single crystal here... We could see this as another version of the Mother Crystal mentioned in 14 and the crystal that created the world in 11. And as a result of the breaking of the time loop that happened in Type 0, this could be what caused the Star Scourge to appear. Basically, the star starts to lose its light, and that's where Noctis has to sacrifice himself in order to bring back the light. So... This leads us into what we decided would be called the post-crystal era. So these games would be 2, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, and 13. So the era of the crystals came to an end after the end of 15, where I don't think they say anything about the crystal actually being destroyed. I think they imply that it still continues to exist. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that we don't really hear in, in these next games there's usually not as much uh, emphasis on a crystal as a major plot point, at least from what we can we know of these games. Yeah. So we think that 
Final Fantasy II would be the good reboot point for the start of the post-Crystal era. So why do you th- why did you think that Final Fantasy II would make sense as this uh, the, the starting point? As of the post-crystal? one thing that's definitely apparent is the game's way dark, the game's darker nature compared to the other Final Fantasy games. As one thing that happens in this, also it can be safe to say that well, that Moogles have some have gone extinct until six or whenever game is next. Because, like, when is the last game from Moogles that appeared in the Crystal Era? Um, I'm not sure if Moogles appeared in... Well, I know they appeared in Type Zero. I don't know if they appeared in 14 or not. There was some event during between 15 and 14. That means that the Moogles possibly could have gone extinct. Inked or have become very rare. Or possibly during Type Zero if they don't appear in... And and then it's an until the next game, the timeline that has Moogles till they're brought back. Another reason why is that the two, the world is pretty much destroyed still by the Empire. And I have the feeling that the Emperor is possibly a survivor of the Niflheim Empire, em, em, Imperial Army. Yep, that's what we were both thinking is that that Emperor could be having dreams of restoring the Niflheim Empire. Which led him to try to take over the world. And... This would lead us into what we thought would be the next one. Um, see, because remember, at the end of 15, most of the world is in ruin. Yeah. You know, like Lestalem and what... Because th- you've played more into Comrades than I have. Yeah. So what are some of the other places that survived? The only places that seem to have survived are Hammerhead, Lestalem, Old Lestalem, Meldatio Hunter HQ, Cothus Depot, oh, Cape Kayam... Um, Nodotian Garrison, which has been turned into a base, and, um, and Insomnia. Yeah, so there's still a few pockets of civilization, but for the most part, everything has been abandoned. So, yeah, that's why I think the Emperor is trying to restore the Niflheim Empire. Yeah, and again, we could see this as, again, one of the theories we have is that each of the world maps is just a simple a single part of the lar- of the world in general. So maybe Eos where Final Fantasy 15 takes place, that was one continent, but the world map for where Final Fantasy 2 takes place, that could have just been another series of continents on the uh, on the planet. So, moving on to 6, here is where we see technology start to come back. The world has more or less rebuilt itself. And we could see the Emperor of Gestal. That could be perhaps another one of these empires that arose when the world was starting to rebuild itself. Also, the Mughals, the reason we may not have seen them in two, is they could have moved underground. Because you might remember that in uh, Final Fantasy VI, the Mughals live in a cave. Yeah, so meaning that possibly the Mughals ended up migrating to wherever Six took place. And... And also, Mughals are starting to become more aggressive as they're now able to start wielding spears and maces. Yep, so they start to become, you know, warriors again, and of course they have the dancing ability. Now, also at this time, we start to see Magitech devices. So this could be rediscovered technology from 14, 15, or Type 0 as... Well, I know in Final Fantasy 15 we've got the Magitek Troopers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magitek I know is mentioned in Final Fantasy 14, and Type Zero I know at least from what I've played of it so far. One of the characters has a Magitek pistol. 
So that could be rediscovered technology. Now, halfway through Final Fantasy VI, we see the world go from the world of balance to the world of ruin because of well, Kefka. Well, wasn't that at like the two-thirds or midway point? It's commonly accepted as kind of like the midway point, so somewhere around there. But yeah, we see the world go from the world of balance to the world of ruin. And this is why I think uh, it's good to... This is why I think it's most logical to put Final Fantasy VI here. Now, the next part of this, this history, I think, would be Final Fantasy Tactics. I think this could be seen as a period similar to the Middle Ages on Earth. Now, from what I was reading about uh, the uh, some of the plot summaries for Tactics, the party does encounter evidence of past technologically advanced civilization. So this could be the remnants of some of the kingdoms that existed in Final Fantasy VI, the Kingdom of Figaro. Also, these could be remnants of things that Kefka destroyed as well. Another reason that I think tactics would go well here, one of the key elements in Final Fantasy tactics is there's a lot of political maneuvering in it, but there's also a religious conspiracy. And this is why I think it translates well into Final Fantasy X. Because in the world of ruin from Final Fantasy VI, as it started to recover, people came to distrust technology. So we learn about that in, in the start of Final Fantasy X. Now, even though Kefka destroyed the world with magic, I think people could have thought it was really just advanced technology. Uh, now, we do know at the end of Final Fantasy VI, magic does leave the world. But somehow between that and Tactics, and then Tactics and Ten, magic starts to return. Now, I remember I mentioned the religious conspiracies in Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm -hmm. Now, as I recall from one video, um, Game Theory, uh, the host of that one, Matt Pat, uh, he has an episode where he talks about how Final Fantasy games are anti-religion. It's a very good episode, very interesting. Highly recommend you go take a listen to it if you have a chance. And he mentions in there that uh, the there's a church in Final Fantasy Tactics that talks about resurrecting a saint named Saint Ajora, who is actually was a demon. And after the events of that game, anyone that tries to expose this is killed. And that's why I think it would be a good lead into Final Fantasy X, because in this game, you've got a church called the Church of Yevon. So... This whole religious conspiracy and this church that takes place in Final Fantasy Tactics could lead to the development of the Church of Yevon that we see in Final Fantasy X. Now, after the events of Final Fantasy X, I could see twelve being the next game. Because in this game, magic and technology are commonplace. So it would be a nice transition from ten to seven. Also, one of the reasons, well, now you had mentioned that you had heard about the theory that Final Fantasy X and VII were connected. Yeah. So do you know anything about that theory, or is it just something you heard about? I think it's something about, like, some people, like, were mentioning, like, Shinra, the, uh, mostly about, like, the Shinpro Shinra company. Yeah, because in Final Fantasy X's sequel, Final Fantasy X2, the party meets a young boy named Shinra, who says he's discovered the planet's life force, and he hopes that it can eventually be harnessed as a form of energy, though he admits that could take generations. 
And I think the mist from Final Fantasy XII could be a step in harnessing the planet's life force. So now we get to Final Fantasy VII, and you, why don't you take over a little bit, because you know a bit more about that game than I do. And during the first moments of the game, we learn about what the Mako reactors are. What they're doing is they're basically taking the life stream and converting it into energy. Which, in other words, because this is the life stream, they're basically turning human souls into electricity. <laughs> yes, because one of the videos that I was watching about the possible connection between 10 and 7, they mentioned both of them have a similar concept. In the it's in seven, it's called the Promised Land, and then in uh, Final Fantasy X, it's called the Far Plane, and that's where this the, the the person who made that video I was watching was saying that they could be the people from different cultures using different languages trying to explain the same thing. Now I know there's also ancient races in both of them, like Final Red Fa- Thirteen, Ian and Eris. Yeah, because um, Eris belongs to the race of the Serta. Cetra. Cetra. Do they really talk much about that in about the Serta or explain? Um, the Cetra, they it's more explained during about the time when you go to the Forgotten Capital, mostly around the time when it's like to about when you go to the um, when to the uh, it's where you basically your party is trying to get the Black Materia, so they go to the Temple of the Ancients. And usually it's described usually from about the Temple of the Ancients to someone time for some time after Aerith's death. Yeah, and I'm not really sure how the Fae work in Final Fantasy X. I think they're the souls of the people who used to live in one of these technologically advanced civilizations before it was destroyed by sin. I could be wrong on that. Um, like I said, I most of my knowledge of Ten comes from <laughs> Record Keeper. So I think the next step would be 8. By this time, the crystals don't really play that major a role in the story or the world's mythology. So I think by this time in history, they may have been forgotten about. Now from what I can tell from what I've seen of Final Fantasy 8, it looks like the technology is about similar to 7 maybe a little bit more advanced so I don't know I suppose you could probably swap 7 and 8's position in the timeline but I think that it would probably be best to put 8 after 7 now I don't know too much about 8 but it seems to me that one of the antagonistic forces in this world is the nation of Galbadia and I think that if we try to work it into the last game 13 uh, Final Fantasy 13 they refer to something called the Transgression War. And I think that it's possible that maybe the remnants of Galbadia could have been responsible for this war, which would lead to the events of Final Fantasy 13. Now, Final Fantasy 13 seems to be the most technologically advanced of the post-Crystal Era games. We've got two worlds in here, Cocoon and Grand Pulse. Now, Grand Pulse, as described in the game, at one time in its history, Grand Pulse was home to a thriving civilization and many great cities. Now it is home to many great ruins, and people are nowhere to be seen. The lower world that stood in conflict with Cocoon, but traces of its culture exist only in ruins. Perhaps these ruins are the remains of the civilization from eight, and people use technology to convert the moon into a habitable living place that 
why you said they called cocoon. Now in this world, the crystals take the form of godlike beings called the fallacy, and they use them to interact with mortals. And I, I don't know, because I know in Final Fantasy Thirteen they talk about focus and how if you don't complete this focus, you get turned into some kind of monster. But to end the cycle, in Final Fantasy Thirteen Part Three, at the end of the game, Lightning encounters a crystal that creates a new world. So perhaps this crystal could be seen as the crystal that created the world at the start of Final Fantasy Eleven. It might also be the same crystal that was the mother crystal in Fourteen. And the same crystal as the one in uh, Final Fantasy XV. And I think Final Fantasy XII, they also mention a great crystal in that one as well. So this new world that the crystal creates, that could be the world that Final Fantasy Record Keeper takes place in. Yeah. So there you have it. That's our little take on how... Final Fantasy Record Keeper could serve as a way to link all of these worlds as a series of, you know, of historical events that would have occurred on the same planet. Yeah. So, but hey, that's just a theory. Let's uh, not get copyrighted. Okay, I, we, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna rip off Matt Pat in the game theory, but seriously, go watch uh, Matt Pat's episode on Final Fantasy games and why they're anti-religion. It's it's actually very interesting and uh, very thought-provoking. So. Well, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening, and have a good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, role playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com and we'll set something up.